0: Hello there, I'm Graham Bell. I produce country music radio programs in Australia for years for the ABC and commercial radio stations. I'd like to share with you an interview I did with a country music artist. Talking to Johnny Ashcroft. Johnny, when did you first get involved in entertainment? When I was a kid? How old would you have be? been? 12. 12, tell me about it. Oh, well, um, well, I decided I'd be an entertainer before that and write songs and do all that sort of thing. When I was about eight, I remember my uh, uncle, Tom, used to um, play a piano and he would say to me, okay, he got me interested in songwriting, he'd so, say, okay, pick three notes on the piano and I'd pick uh, two white ones and the black one. And then he would immediately write a tune that featured those three notes. And when he came to those notes, he'd look at me and hit them real hard, and say, well, they're the notes you picked, you know? And then he'd say, okay, pick three more, and then I'd, I'd pick three black ones, <laughs> which he hated because it put him in pretty rotten keys. Then he'd start to play, and then he'd go wang, 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 and hit these three you notes know, very hard. And It's just a thing he had. I've never, I've never seen anyone else do that. Because he, he was a real natural. Oh, yeah, he was a dance band, pianist, and a very competent man. And uh, I, I became quite fascinated by that. And then I decided from that experience that I would uh, like to do that. And I set my course in that direction ever since. Uh, Did many of your relations play music or was involved in entertainment? Yes. uh, During the pre-war period, uh, pre-Second World War period, Harry Ashcroft, uh, Harry Ashcroft's band, one bloke told me, a fellow, an old musician came up to me one night and he said, uh, would you be related to Harry Ashcroft? I said, yes, he was my uncle. He said, you know what? In the late 1920s and in the 1930s, if you weren't dancing to Harry Ashcroft's band, you weren't dancing. He was so... uh... And Eric Anderson, a lot of older listeners will remember Eric Anderson's uh, electrical stores. They were... Well, after the Last World War in the 1950s, they were huge, like Chandlers and people like that. I suppose you should be plugging people on the ABC, but nevertheless, uh, they were equivalent to these sort of people. And uh, Eric Anderson used to play uh, violin in my my uncle's band. And uh, Gloria Ashcroft was a very famous singer during the war. She used to do all the top night spots and so forth. John, one of your early paid engagements was the Leichhardt Boxing Stadium. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You're not kidding. It was a pretty rough old thing. I remember I went to a theatrical agency... And uh, there was a female impersonator, a male impersonator rather, in those days named Nellie Small, and I'd never met Nellie Small. Nellie Small uh, was uh, a black person. And I walked into this agent's office, in fact, it was the only agent's office I'd ever walked into as a kid, having a guitar in my hand, and uh, <clears throat> the agent said to me, well, look, I, I really don't know... And this uh, uh, black man is sitting in the corner. So I thought it was a woman, with a top hat and all. You know, dressed up, with a, you really dressed up, bow tie and everything. And uh, I said to this guy, uh, "Look, uh, you know, I, I haven't got any work. Uh, you can't see me, but I can sing you a song right now if you like." And I pull my guitar out and and uh, and and sang the fella a song, you know. And before he could say, uh, well, goodbye, I, I said, I'll sing you another one. <laughs> I hit him with three songs. I don't think he'd ever struck anyone that ever did that before. And then... He said, well, thank you very much, but when you get a job, tell me where it is and I'll come and see you. And suddenly this woman's voice came out of this, this black man sitting in the corner and said, I wanted to give the bloody kid a go in a real sort of uh, aggressive sort of way. Why don't you put him in a Leichhardt Stadium and see how good he is, you know? And uh, you know, and he said, well, would you work in Leichhardt Stadium? And I said, well, if it's the place to work, I'll go there. And they used to chuck pennies from the bleachers. If the boxing was going bad, they'd come across the ring like bullets, you know. You'd hear them whizzing around your head. They'd be bouncing off your guitar and everything. I never did it a couple of times. I didn't need the money that bad. (laughs) (laughs) John, a lot of the fellows, uh, Shorty Ranger and um, Chad Morgan, uh, got their start in uh, the Australian Amateur Hour, the radio show. Were you ever involved in that? Yeah, yeah. I was I won the amateur hour once. As a matter of fact, uh, last week we were in Foster Tuncurry and there was a woman in the audience and uh, she came up and said, uh, was it Foster Curry? Port Macquarie, no it was Port Macquarie, sorry, and she came up and she said um, that I'd, I sang at her wedding and uh, that she rang J. Walter Thompson who used to handle all the acts and for uh, Australia's Amateur Hour and she rang him and said uh, I would like to book that chap that uh, won the Amateur Hour such and, such time, and it happened to be me and she said do you remember what song you won the Amateur Hour with I said yes it was called The Overlander Trail and we were laughing about it driving along quite recently I said she said I sang that song at her wedding and I thought gee it sounds like an odd song to <coughs> excuse me to sing at someone's wedding now yeah sure now after those earlier days you sort of got away from the entertainment scene a little you went onto a farm into the bush whereabouts was that oh i knocked around the bush quite a bit Mm. yeah ever around the dorigo area and uh yeah well uh yeah i i spent a lot of time in uh in glennines and glenolgan and bald knob and places like that that's out west of uh It's between Gleninus and and Grafton, out on that road. Mm. Spent a lot of time out there, and uh, spent a lot of time trapping out of kangaroo camp and places like that, out of Gyra. You also uh, worked with the Great Levant? Surely did. Mm. Tell me about that. Uh, Drilled me like a soldier. Hated him at the time. Love him now for what he did for me. He used to... um, Oh, I was a fledgling performer. just came off the amateur hour. didn't realise that there was uh, an art to the business because I hadn't had much contact with my relations that were in the business. There's been an Ashcroft and Australian show business in a continuous line for about 80 years now with Harry Ashcroft and people like that. And I hadn't had anything, you know, to do with the, with the art of the business I thought you just went on and you sang songs and people liked you they didn't like you I had no idea that there was a manner in which you should approach an audience or walk on stage or uh, how to get off or or that there was a, a, an art to taking a bow I had no idea of that and uh, Les Levant uh, God love him because he gave me my career um recognised in me some sort of potential, how he did I'll never know but he did and I'm grateful to him for that, I will ever, forever be grateful because he has given me a good life and uh, he used to get me down there in the in the tent, it was a huge tent, held 2,000 people, it was the biggest road show in Australia, um, it took 50 people to operate it and uh, there were, it was a ballet of 12 massive thing it was huge production and uh, Les would get me down there 10 o'clock every morning he gave me his time and he would sit in the stage say okay walk on and I would have to okay the man's giving you a chase on walk on make your entrance and walk up to the microphone and the place is full of people and I want you to imagine that and I'd do all that and he'd say okay you've just finished your final number take your bow and then he would take a bow he'd make me take my bow and then I'd have to exit and uh, he spent weeks and weeks and weeks with me just doing that to get it right. And, uh, you know, he used to say to me, you can tell whether a performer knows what he or she is doing within 30 seconds, and you can. He's exactly right. I I can see a person walk on a stage and I will tell you within 30 seconds if that person knows what they're doing just simply by their initial approach to the audience. Sure. Sure. I can understand. You've uh, had a few names, uh, Alf Luciano. Do you know where he is now? Is he still alive? <laughs> you fascinate me that you know all this about me. I feel quite vulnerable, actually. Alf Luciano was in was on my very first uh, record, uh, first three singles that I did, and I haven't seen Alf for many years. <clears throat> Excuse me. I would love to see him again. Uh, what a competent uh he was he was a great accordionist one of the best i used to watch him in a nightclub in, at king's cross when uh, i was young did you um, also what about the party that you and gordon parsons went to uh, you had to play at a party <laughs> this was about the war time <laughs> <laughs> it was a fella going off i think it was i think he was going to the korean war this fella and uh, Gordon Parsons and I both turned up at uh, at this house in Erskineville, in Sydney, and and I got to the door and dead heated with Gordon. I said, "God, gay Gordon, <laughs> what are you doing here? Do you live here?" He said, "No, I don't live here. What are you doing here?" I said, "Well, I've, I've been booked by these people to come and sing to them." And he said, "Well, so have I." So we got there, and there were three people there. There there was the uh, uh, mother and father, and then the boy. And we went in and <laughs> introduced ourselves, and uh, we almost outnumbered the audience and sat down and started to play and sing to these people, these three people. And they sat on the floor while we sat on the lounge and sang them songs. You're the next Gordon, you know, and uh, then I'll have a go. And in the finish, they ended up, we ended up there about three o'clock in the morning. We only booked for a two-hour gig. But they were lovely people. I'd love to meet them again. And uh, we ended up playing all these records and things. And they ended up playing us their favourite country songs and we ended up singing them out. It so, was a fascinating thing. It's, quite a unique experience yeah. it happens quite often but we don't always get paid for those sort of things <laughs> yeah yeah, not, not wrong mate used to ride to Newcastle with your motorbike strapped to you, with your <laughs> guitar strapped to your back on a motorbike and then things change when Little Boy Lost come along can you tell me about Little Boy Lost oh I can yeah um that experience that I had yeah having that Gyra Gleninus area helped me a great deal with that song because uh, when uh, when young Stephen was lost, I think it, I, I don't think many people thought that he would survive that, and including myself, knowing the country as I do, uh, it's not hospitable country for a four-year-old boy to be wandering around in alone. Uh, a few old mine shafts and things like that. Middle of summer, February, February fifth, to be precise, 1960 was when he was lost. And they found him on the 8th of February, which was the following Monday. And it was a wonderful thing that uh, 5,000 people were involved in that search. As a matter of fact, I often meet the searchers. Last week we met one of the searchers, came up and, and very proudly said it was, as a matter of fact, it was uh, at uh, Coffs Harbour, RSL, came up and introduced himself, and he saw it was one of the original searchers on, the, on that. And uh, <clears throat> they all have stories to tell. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it um, was remarkable that that boy did escape death. Uh, uh. Uh, you wrote the song? I wrote the lyric and music based on an idea by Tony Withers, uh, uh, a Sydney disc jockey who Tony passed away last year in England. Yes, he did. And uh, Tony was a very talented man. He was up with uh, in his day with... Uh, John Lewis and, you know, there's Bob Rogers and there's some great people in radio in those days. Lewis survives, uh, I think, all of them. Was the song hard to write? Three Nights and Ten g- Gallons of Coffee. Was. <laughs> that was about, the, about what it was. Yeah. But I knew the song, it had all the feelings of being a hit song. And I knew it was going to be a hit. I'd uh, sent about three record companies broke <laughs> before that, trying to record my songs. Uh, I worked with your namesake, Graham Bell, for two years prior to that. Um, and at the end of the 1950s, I found myself without a record company. Uh, the company that had been working with Bell Records uh, had uh, had folded up. And I didn't have... Uh, I wasn't under contract to anybody. And then young Stephen was lost and phone call came from tony and said i've got an idea to write this song called the ballad of stephen walls there's not a lot of things you can rhyme with the word walls you know so if it's going to be in there it's got to be a rhyming word and i said look i said i think little boy lost a better title than that tony he said All right you write your song and i'll write mine and whoever comes out on top will go 50s in. and i said fine That's how I found out. And when you'd finished, you felt that was it. There's no more you wanted to add to it. You were quite satisfied. That was it. No, I went to the publisher, as a matter of fact, a fellow named Jack Argent. um, He was the head of Leeds Music at the time, and Jack said, "Uh, the song doesn't sound as though it's complete. I finished it on, and the mother's prayers were answered for a little bit on... uh, Uh, Where's my daddy? Where's my daddy? I thought, there's there's hardly anything I could do to top that because that's exactly what the boy said because he was he asked for his father. And uh, I thought, well, that's a rather remarkable thing and I finished the song there. And Jack said, it just needs one more verse and I hated him. I thought, no, I don't think that's right. But anyway, I went away and looked at it again and I came back the next day and said, well, there's the final verse, what do you think of that? He said, that's it. He said, you got it right now. And uh, it's the funny thing, when when young Stephen uh, was found by Harry Tickle, the telecom linesman, that's exactly what he said. He said, where's my daddy? And a few years later, I said to, to his, uh, Stephen's mother, <coughs> excuse me, I said, uh, Stephen asked for his father, Dory, why, why would he ask for his father and not his, not his mother? She said, don't you know the story? I said, no. She said, well, what happened was um, Stephen was out with his father in, in, a, in a utility truck and uh, Norman, his father, said to Stephen look, I'm going down in the gully there to find a few sheep you just stay in the truck and uh, with Bing, a dog and he said, I'll be back and Stephen thought his father had gone a little bit longer than he should have, should have been he went looking for his father and when they found Stephen about 12 kilometres from where he'd uh, got lost uh, he said, Harry oh, t- oh, where's my daddy? and he said, what do you want your daddy for, son? and he said, because he's lost and I'm looking for him and that's the story. Mm. Okay. Uh, the Girl Behind the Bar. Yeah, that was a good song for you. Girl Behind the Bar, yeah. The only time I ever had to audition a song for a record company was The Girl Behind the Bar. Girl. I never auditioned a song. They unquestionably asked. As recorded everything I wanted to up to that point in time. But uh, I've got a mate, Slim DeGray, whom a lot of people will know. He's an ex Changy fellow. And he wrote... With uh, Ray Tullivan and people like that, a lot of material in Changi Prison Camp to keep up the morale of the of the uh, of the troops of our troops that were imprisoned in Changi Prison Camp during the last World War. And Slim uh, said to me one day we were, we were working up at uh, Ningen and uh, we were doing two nights up there and we were swimming in the pool the next day. It was as hot as Hades. And he said he said I got a a terrific song he said i reckon you, you'd do it and i said what's it called he said the girl around the bar and i thought oh that doesn't sound very interesting i said well, how's it going He sang to me in the pool you know and uh, it was a six eight march tempo as it would have been appropriate during the last world war but it didn't seem to fit the 1960s and i said oh i don't know slim I, But i'm not real sure about that and he said, "Well, why don't you give it a go?" And I said, "Oh." He said, "Look, he said, there's thousands of barmaids in the country going to re- relate to this, and thousands of blokes in, in Changi, ex-Changi blokes, said, they're all going to know the song." And I thought, "He said, well, that's probably a commercial idea of looking at it, but I wasn't wrapped in the song." And then uh, a mate of mine, Jack Allen, uh, um, who's a great pianist, Jack Allen, these cats and jammers he, he had during the 1950s, uh, previously toured New Zealand with Jack, and I rang Jack and I said, "Listen." Um, listen to this song, and I put it down a rough, and he said, oh, he is, we can do that. Anyhow, I went into EMI and played it to Ron Wills, who had produced Little Boy Lost previously, and Ron had a look at it and said, oh, I, I can't see a lot of potential in that. He said, I really can't, Johnny. So, but I'm getting stronger and stronger and stronger feelings about the song, you know. So I went away and we actually put the track down. We We, we recorded it and did a demo of it. And I rang Ron Wills and didn't tell him it was the same song. I said, Ron, because he's heard me singing on a guitar. He just playing my guitar in the track. And I said, Ron, you want to hear this song I've got? And he said, what's it called? I said, well, just I'll bring it in. You know? So I went and I just hit the button. I said, what do you think of this? And he said, that's not bad. Because he heard it all dressed up. He said, I haven't I heard this song before. I said, well, you might have. But what do you think of the song? And he said, I like it. We do it, yes. Yes, we'll do it. He said, but haven't I heard the song before? I said, yeah, you knocked it back last week. He's a lovely bloke, Rod Mills. He took it. Yeah. Are you credited for starting the Tamworth Awards or instigating the uh, start of them? Well, it was a germ of an idea that I had. I was getting a record presentation in Tamworth, a gold record presentation in Tamworth, and uh, John uh, Minson had been telling me only about six months before that, that uh, Tamworth were going, were going to try and do something in, with regard to make it a, making it a country music capital. And uh, when we were getting, when I was getting these awards, I made an impromptu, I do a lot of gut feeling stuff, you know. You feel it, and if it's right, well, you do it. And uh, I said, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, all the EMI people in the uh, Tamworth executives were there from TTM. I said, if you really uh, want to make this a, uh, a, a, a country music capital, I, I believe you can do that. But I think you've got to start giving out record awards, and I think you've got to make it a really big thing. And uh, basically describe what it's developed into. So I suppose, and they did give me some sort of credit at one point in time for for instigating them. Uh, great. Well, you did. Uh, you, you you got off the recording scene at one stage. Uh, I think I read where uh, you were unhappy about the recording on, of cassettes and mm. taking them off albums. Do mm. you still feel the same about it? Well, they're uh, they're putting a a royalty on on blank cassettes now, as you know. And as a, my own private protest, I'm a very private person. I've got my own private ideas, and I I do what I what I believe is 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 right. And uh, I do object to people buying my work and then dubbing it off and giving my work to somebody else. Now, the general public can't understand that, but it takes, well, this new album that we've got coming out called The Cross of the Five Silver Stars, which will be out in the end of June, this has been 18 months solid work and nobody in relation to that album, with the exception of uh, one person, has been paid yet we've put 18 months of writing and recording into that album and that is our work and for someone to take that and dub it off pirate it in other words and give it away to people to their friends and their mates i don't object to someone buying an album and dubbing it off for themselves to play in the car dubbing it off for the kids that sort of thing what i do very much object to is having my work given away to other people. I think people can understand it. A lot of people don't. <laughs> OK, John, you've enjoyed your chat this morning. Thanks very much. And I've enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much, Graham. I'll be back with another country artist for a country artist chat. Graham Bell saying, until then, you take care now.